Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you, and I wish you a very happy Labor Day weekend. I'm actually looking out at this crowd and pretty impressed on a holiday weekend. We are here in pretty good numbers to uh, worship our risen Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then we're going to worship Him with first through song and now through the Word as we continue our journey through the book of James. We're now into chapter 5. The finish line is close with this book, and James has certainly pulled no punches when he talks about uh, putting feet to our faith, what it looks like to have genuine Christian faith that goes beyond just a profession of the mouth, but a changing of the heart and a moving of the hands and feet. We said that James is a show me book. It says, if you have faith, you're going to show me with your works. And so we're moving on to chapter five, being verses one through six. And the title of our message today is lifestyles of the rich and miserable. And uh, I was asked this morning if I was going to do this in an accent and I'm not. I will not put you through that misery, but most of us do remember that old TV show, Uh, but that was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, but according to James, it's Lifestyles of the Rich and Miserable. So what do we mean by that? So I want to start off by giving you something to think about. Here's a question. Here's what I want you to think about. Is there anything you own that you would struggle to give up if God asked you to? So so Jesus Christ shows up at your doorstep, rings the doorbell, and kind of walks into your house and looks around and, and you're, you're thinking, what is it that I have in this house that I don't want to give up? And he asks you, would you give this to me? Would you give that to me? Would you put a for sale sign out in your front lawn for me? What is it that you own? Could be a possession, could be a house, could be anything. What is something you own that you would struggle to give to God if He showed up at your doorstep and He asked you for it. I won't, uh, in the essence of time, I'll make this very short because I know I've shared this behind the pulpit before, uh, but to put myself on the chopping block, I have a personality that is wired towards collecting. Okay, I'm not a hoarder, so let's put that out there. I don't hoard, but there's, there's certain things throughout the course of my life that I've enjoyed collecting. Okay, so when I was younger, I was 13 years old, and I went with a friend of mine to, to Salisbury, North Carolina, and uh, I was in this friend's basement in North Carolina, and it was a NASCAR shrine. I believe we call it today a man cave. And I got one look at that, and I decided that I was going to start building the collection that would eventually be my man cave, and it would be mostly baseball and football based. So from age 13 to age 25, every disposable dime I had went to autograph baseballs and bats and plaques and bobbleheads and baseball cards. I had about seven or eight huge Rubbermaid storage tubs filled to the brim with all of this. And then what happened? I got saved. And there's nothing evil about having a collection except this collection had me. It had my heart. It ruled my life. It ruled my checking account. And uh, what happened was I was living in Excelsior, Georgia, and Judy Forehand's old country store there on Dutch Ford Road. And I, I was just praying one night, and I just said, Lord, this has got a hold of me. There's so many other things I want to do with my time and my money, yet I, I constantly think about this man cave that I want to have. And I felt God say, sell it. And that's what I did. It wasn't easy. But I sold it. I gave uh, some of the stuff. I, th- I think I mentioned it last week. I gave some of the stuff to Aiden Hoger. He was, he's, he's like a son to me. Uh, he's really like a little brother to me. And I gave him some things. And then I sold the rest of them off, gave the money away. And I felt a freedom that I've never yet experienced. And yet years later, now 
I enjoy collecting books, specifically Christian books that help me to, uh, to grow in my Christian walk. And I think it's a good thing, but I have to watch it because it can become an idol. The hours I spend on Amazon researching, the, the money that comes in that we could use for other things. Ashley and I have many discussions. What's the best use of the money we have this week? And I have to watch my heart because it can get to a point where it owns me instead of me owning it. And that's a question we have to ask ourselves about the, the wealth and the material possessions that we have in our life. Here's what I want to ask you. How do you know if what you own owns you or you own it? Well, here's some questions to ask yourself, okay? Run through these in your head about some of your favorite possessions. Did I glorify God in all my efforts to acquire this, okay? Which means that I use credit cards with money I didn't have, or was I a workaholic and spent extra hours to make more money, or do I constantly miss church week after week to have this possession or to use this possession? Second question would be, do I think about this possession more than I think about God? Does having this possession bring me closer to God or, and to others or further away? Does this possession bring unnecessary stress to my life? Is having this possession and the time it takes to maintain it and all the things that I worry about someone taking it or destroying it does, it, does it take more time than it's worth? And then the final thing is, would I struggle to sell this possession and give all the proceeds to someone else if God asked me to? That's, that meets us where we live. And we're going to be talking about one of my, to be honest with you, one of my least favorite topics to talk about, and that's our wealth. And the reason why is when I first got saved, I thought every pastor was crooked after what I saw on television year after year after year. And so I had my antennas up. I had my defenses up. If I was in a church and I heard a pastor talk about money, I was at the door. Boom. I didn't want to hear it. Well, now I've learned as a pastor, it's my job to be a steward of knowledge and share what God has to say about it. But I'm in the same boat with everybody here. We wrestle with things and, and we constantly have to ask ourselves, do, do I own this or does, or does this own me? Does it have my heart? In fact, I think James has been hitting that week after week after week. God cares about the heart. I mean, there are, there are wealthy people in this world who the money comes and it goes and they really don't care. It doesn't have their heart. But then there's other people it just grips their heart and suffocates them in a way that they can't enjoy God the way that they could if they just got rid of it. Well, we're going to be looking at a passage here in James chapter 5 about these rich farmers that oppressed many of the early Christians in Jerusalem. And they squeezed them for every possible dollar and profit that they could make. And James is warning them that judgment's coming. And he's also giving the, the church an encouragement that if you've been persecuted because of finances, that, that God will seek your vengeance, but also that for any of us who have ever abused the wealth that God has given us, we need to be aware that judgment's coming for us as well. So what's the big idea? What do I want us to get here in the next 15 minutes? In one sentence, I'd say this. Miseries will one day come upon those who decide to selfishly use God's resources to build their own kingdom instead of his. God gives us things to enjoy, but ultimately to share in that we build up his kingdom. And when we use them strictly for our own kingdom and not his, okay, Jody strategically sung that song this morning, build your kingdom here, his kingdom, not ours. Whenever we use his resources to build our kingdom, we know that miseries are coming. 
So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. We'll be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1201 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we are in James chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father, this is a heavy topic. Seems like every week it is with James. I, I ask that you guide this, this discussion and that you be with us and open our hearts, Father. Convict us. What has our heart other than you? Help us to be faithful to you, Father. Help me to be faithful to this passage with the time I have left here this morning. Father, would you just be with us and change us and let your Holy Spirit dwell among us in this sanctuary, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it bears a quick statement. And I feel like every time that we talk about money, we need to to make this statement. God does not condemn wealth. In fact, wealth can be a wonderful gift of God. One of the most misunderstood proverbs is is that, uh, that money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here today because the love of money will lead us to do things that we might not necessarily want to do. So I want to make that statement off the top that wealth by itself is not something that uh, we need to think is evil. If you look in Scripture, let me give you some examples. Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, Josiah, Joseph of Arimathea and Lydia and so many others. These people were tremendously wealthy and they, they, they received their wealth from God. And when they used it for God's glory, they received joy. And when they used it for themselves, they didn't. In fact, if you want a a crash course on this, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, Solomon, who was rich in wisdom, but also given material riches, says of all the riches that he had, it was a meaningless chasing after the wind. Vanity, vanity, vanity is what he said because he had all the money he could ever want and he realized that wasn't going to fill his heart. There's a place in his heart that belonged to God and God alone. So wealth in and of itself is not evil. In fact, the church has been blessed by wealthy people who just don't care about their money, who receive it and give it just as fast. And so there's nothing wrong with wealth by itself, but when it becomes a love and an improper usage of that wealth, then it becomes an idol. And an idol, an idol is anything that takes your heart instead of God. So in the context of this passage, James, he, he's nailing these wealthy farmers who squeezed everyone and were dishonest tyrants to make an extra buck. And so you may hear this and say, well, okay, well, this message don't apply to me then. 
because I'm not wealthy or maybe I'm not a farmer or I don't, I don't hurt people the way the people in this passage did. But let me, let me encourage you, God has a word for you in this passage regardless if you've ever been abusive with your money or not. All right, there's three reasons the whole church needs to hear this message, myself included. First, riches are not to be envied or the primary motivation of our pursuit in life. Second, for the wealthy who have exploited others, your judgment's coming. And third, for the poor who've been exploited, take comfort that God will seek your vengeance. That's, that's the picture that I want us to set. And as we walk quickly through the passages here, I want to say that I'm going to use the word misery, and that meaning is twofold. Okay, when I say misery, I mean there is a misery on this side of heaven. The rich, as we see most of the time, are not happy. They're in misery because they're trying to control the uncontrollable. But also, when I say misery, I mean the judgment that's coming. So as we walk through the points here, that word misery has a twofold meaning, both now and at the day of judgment. So let's hit it hard and quick, right into the scriptures, okay? The first of the four points that I'd like to make is this. Number one, let's look at the misery of earthly treasure. Verses 2 through 3. It says, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, I cannot help but read this passage and hear an echo off the tongue of Jesus Christ. And the echo that I hear is from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, you can't keep it with you, but you can send it forward. Right? We talked about that this morning in our prospective member class. You can't, you can't keep it with you. No matter how, many, how nice your clothes are, eventually they're going to they're gonna fade away. This is one of my favorite dress shirts, but already the collar's wearing out. All right? it's, I mean, it's just starting to get dingy. I've had it for like six or seven years. No matter how much I love this shirt, eventually it's going to end up in the garbage can. Right? And, and, and we've learned, unfortunately, we've learned this in Candler County a lot recently. If it doesn't corrode, there's a good chance someone may come knocking at your door and take it. We don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And so it's not that we can't enjoy things on this earth, but God has a, God has a very bold word to say about those who are storing the things up and hoarding them and admiring them, thinking that we're going to have them forever when we're not. Our treasure is where our heart is, and God wants your heart, and he doesn't want anything to get in the way of that. And our, our possessions oftentimes do that. For, for these selfish farmers, it, it was obvious that they're pursuing wealth. They're denying the laborers in the fields their wages. They're squeezing them for every last penny. And James is saying, I know where your heart is, and guess what? You're going to get judged. It's coming for the way you've treated people because of your desire for wealth. Now, let me say a word of application here for my prayers for our church. It's been my experience in seven years of knowing Cedar Street Baptist Church that the people in this church are abundantly generous. And I, and I applaud you for that because I've been members of many, many churches and I've seen generosity in this church like I've never seen before. We paid that education building off at lightning speed. 
And I'm going to encourage you, God has tremendous plans for continued expansion, both in this sanctuary and with a family life center that all of us are dreaming about. And I believe we can do it. And I think we're going to do it in a shorter period of time than some of you even may think, because we have generous hearts in this church. So I want to encourage you with that. But let me say this. The reason I don't stand behind the pulpit every week hammering stewardship, the reason that I will never, ever, ever one time look at somebody's tithing records and any church leaders at any church, whoever opening up a tithing record, they've all already gone down the wrong path. And the reason why is you don't preach stewardship, you preach God and the gospel. And when the gospel changes somebody's heart, the desire they have to serve the beautiful God of the universe is a natural byproduct of that is going to be stewardship. You have to change from the inside out. It has to be a heart change. And some of you in this room have had that heart change and it's poured out into unbelievable generosity. And for others, I would say, trust God in it. Be sacrificial in the way that you give and watch what God is going to do in your life. It's a beautiful gift. But for those who hold on, they experience again, number one, this misery of earthly treasure. Let's move on to number two. Further down in the passage in verse four, we see the misery of dishonest gain. It says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You know, when I read this, I think that that old expression, it's a dog eat dog world. Survival of the fittest, every man for himself. And so I suppose... Uh, regardless of what your calling is, you've seen in the marketplace, whether it's in corporate America or even if it's in education, if it's in local business owning, all of us have had to be fit financially. We've had to be sharp. We've had to understand the, 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 you know, the passing of the times for those of us who were in leadership roles in 2008 and in 2009 during the recession. And there was major layoffs and big decisions to be made. I remember being at Pineland and was so proud of our company that as, as all these other companies were laying people off, they were rearranging things to keep people in place. So it's important that we stay sharp in our financial lives. But it's not dog eat dog when you're a Christian. It's not stomp on somebody else to get what you want or what you think you need. And the world may say that. The world may say, hey, listen, it's all about the bottom line, right? It's all about the dollar. But the kingdom of God says, no, it's all about the glory of God. And if I do anything to hurt anybody to get an extra dollar, I'm going to face judgment over that. It's not dog eat dog. So in this room right now, we have business owners. In this room right now, we have administrators, we have executives, we have managers, all right, we have directors. Let me ask you these questions because maybe you don't think this applies to you, but let me drive up in your driveway and meet you where you live here. Have you treated each one of your employees or subordinates in the same way you would treat Jesus? Do you pay them fairly? Have you withheld anything from them for your own gain? Would one of their complaints reach the ears of God and be held against you at your day of judgment? We all got to think about that. The, the positions that God has put us in, we're called to be good stewards, not only of our money, but of our responsibility, of the power that God's given us to manage. We're going to be judged. There are some prominent thinkers and decision makers in this church right now. The way this community is going to look 10, 20 years from now will be in large part by the decisions that are made by people sitting in this room right now. Are you living for the glory of God in such a way that none of your employees or subordinates would have a complaint to God that would be held against you in his court? 
Something to think about. So that moves us from the the misery of dishonest gain to number three, the misery of self-indulgence here. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. Here's what I believe. And I know we're getting towards the end of the hour. Just bear with me. I'm moving quickly here. Here's the image that I want you to take from our, our time here this morning. Okay, I want you to put this image in your heart. God has given us two hands. And our hands are both supposed to be open. The hand that receives from God and the hand that takes that and gives to others. We receive openly and we give openly. Now, there are people that have one hand open and one hand closed. And there are people that have two hands closed. All right. Now, let me start with the two hands closed because this was me for many years. All right. Two hands closed was basically my pride. I don't need anything from God. I can do it myself. I'm going to do whatever I can. And once I have what I have, I'm going to manage it and store it up. And that's how I was. And I remember, uh, he's not here today, but I got a wonderful, gentle rebuke from Eddie Jones one day. We were at Beverick's and he picked the tab up for lunch. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't buy my lunch. And he said, Bo. Don't you deny me the blessing. You hear me? And I said, all right, you want to buy my lunch and you're going to get blessed for it? Go ahead. And, he, and I thought about it more that day. And in that season of life, God began to say to me, Bo, if your fist over here is closed, you can't even receive a blessing from me. And if you can't receive a blessing from me and your, your, your fist is closed over here, you can't bless other people. You're right before I came here to Cedar Street for to preach in view of the call. I get emotional when I talk about this. I got a random phone call from a man named Rusty. Rusty had a father who I taught at the church we came from. I knew Rusty a little bit, but I didn't know him that well. And he called me and he said, what time do you get off work? And I said, well, I get off about 530. He said, get off early and come meet me at the Crabtree Valley Mall in Raleigh, North Carolina. I showed up at Crabtree Valley Mall. And as soon as I walked into the mall, he grabbed me and he pulled me into a room with a tailor who had a measure, who had a tape measure. And he started measuring my shoulders and my legs and my height and my weight and everything. And I kind of looked at him and then he pulled out of this bag, this beautiful gray suit. And then he pulled out of the bag a dress shirt and a tie and a pair of socks and a pair of shoes. All told in that bag, was an outfit that cost more than my entire wardrobe. I mean, you guys see how I dress. This, this is flat out. I'm not lying. This is Goodwill. I mean, I, I, I'm a Goodwill shopper. I believe in, in uh, GW fashions, right? Right? <laughs> I, I was embarrassed, almost embarrassed, at even accepting such a lavish gift. And then here's what he said to me. Bo, I was in prayer, and he always called God Papa. He said, Papa wants you to be your best when you preach in view of the call at that church in South Georgia. And I get emotional when I think about that because it, it is a wonderful embarrassment to receive a gift like that. But if my fist was closed, I never would have been able to let God bless me. Now, I do think the, the greatest problem for many of us is this. This hand is open and this one is closed. God gives to us freely We enjoy the blessing. We indulge in the blessing. And then when God says, take that and bless someone else with it, we go, "Mm." but if I just hang on just a little bit longer, 
If I ride out the Dow Jones for just a few more weeks, I'm going to, I mean, just an extra whatever's going to come my way. And we just get nervous and it starts to grip our heart. And God says, no, I love you, but I love them. Both hands open, receiving from God freely, giving to others freely. That is the picture I want you to take from this when it comes to living in the kingdom of God. And I'm grateful for that because I've had to learn some of these things the hard way. And so I would just ask us to say, are both of our hands open? Is there some, is, are some of us so prideful that we wouldn't receive a lavish gift like that because of our pride? And I'd say, open your hand. And if you have no problem receiving, but boy, you just, it hurts to give. I'd say, let God pry that hand open too, because it's the most freeing thing you could ever experience to have the joys of God's resources come right in and then go right out. That's what it should be like in a world that is preparing us for eternity. And then finally, fourth and finally, let's look at the misery of abusive power in verse 6. It says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I'm just going to hit this real quick. Here's what he's saying. He's not talking about physical murder. He's saying when you take advantage of the defenseless, all right, that last verse says he does not resist you. The laborers in the field had no way to get back at the manager. There's nothing they could do. There was no court they could go to. They couldn't, all they, they were submitted completely to the owners, to the farmers. And the farmers basically said, there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to take whatever wage I give you. And they kept withholding their wages. And, and, and James is saying, that's as bad as murder. You, you, you're condemning and murdering them because they can't resist you. They're defenseless. And God is seeing this and you'll be judged by this. All right, the, the, the misery of abusive power. Again, we need to think of ourselves and saying, is there any time we've ever taken advantage of somebody who could not fight for themselves? God will hold us accountable for that. So how do I sum all this up? In one sentence, I would say this. Our true riches are found in an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, who has been sacrificially generous towards us to build his kingdom and not ours. Think about all that Jesus Christ gave up for us, including his own life. And if he were to die for us, he asks us to live for him. You know, a closing thought would be this. In the Gospels, you see right before he starts his earthly ministry, he's tempted in the desert. And one of the things that that Jesus had to have unbelievable self-control not to raise up in anger over Satan who was trying to tempt him. And Satan's pointing at all these things. And he said, see this kingdom? Like All this will be yours if you bow down and worship me. And, And Jesus could easily have stood up and said, are you nuts? I created this. This is mine. But no, he didn't. He went right to Scripture. And he said, I'm... I didn't come here for all that. I came here to redeem the souls of the ones whom the Father is going to give me, and we're going to build a new kingdom. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing. And make no mistake about it, when Jesus comes back on a white horse, and we'll all know it's Him when He comes, if we're still here, He's going to look at everything and say, that is mine, and that is mine, and that is mine, and I've come back to receive what the Father has given me. What we have is not ours. We are His managers. We are His stewards. And we're called to use these things to build His kingdom until He comes back. We are to enjoy them. 
But they're not supposed to end with us. We're supposed to enjoy it and pass it forward. Take a piece of that bread and nourish it and then hand the loaf to the person sitting to your right. That's what we're called to be as Christians. So what's our takeaway? Here's a rule of thumb to bury in your heart. Rule of thumb for kingdom wealth. God only increases our standard of living to increase our standard of giving. We're all at different seasons of life. Some of us are like me. We're starting an adventure in a new career that we hope to make a 30-year career out of. Some of us are coming out of that career. We're getting ready for the retirement years. It's okay and completely understandable and even responsible to make sure that you've prepared for retirement. Okay, I began that process myself. And it's okay to want to enjoy as much as you can a stable and long retirement where you can do things and spend time with people whom you love, but never to the point where you're scared of what might happen if you give beyond where you're comfortable giving. It's not a dollar amount. I, I say the word that God cares about is sacrificial, capital S, sacrificial. Would you say that with what God has given you, that you sacrificially, you, you go past your level of comfort to give to others to build his kingdom. That is what James is asking us and telling us that we should avoid the lifestyles of the rich and the miserable. Now, as we enter into a time of invitation, I would say, I hope that everybody in this room would say that Jesus Christ is the king on the throne of your heart that what you say, think, and do is in response to what He is doing in your heart. If He's not, would you come and do business with the Lord this morning? All right? Come. As soon as the music is played, come and pray. You can pray in privacy. I'll pray a blessing over you. And if you want to pray privately with me, I can make myself available. But what I want to say is this. God loves you and He wants your heart. And if there's any, for those of you who are Christian, and right now something is gripping your heart, your day and night are spent thinking about maintaining a possession or maintaining something, it worries you, and God's saying, let it go. Come to me. Enjoy my rest. Experience this freedom. Let me do something new and fresh in your life. You also come as God leads. And, and, and we'll pray that God will continue to bless and as he's blessed this church already in so many ways. Let us pray together. Father, you want our hearts, you deserve our hearts. Our hearts are empty until they're filled with your spirit. Would you, would you just saturate this sanctuary right now, Father, right now with your Holy Spirit? Would people respond in repentance and faith? And for those who are truly repentant and have faith in you, would would today be a day where their faith would grow? Their desire to be sacrificial in the way they live would be stretched a little bit further. Let us see the kingdom, Father. Let us see the finish line that is being stored up for us in eternity right now, Father. Give us that vision that only the Spirit can give us. At this very moment, I beg you and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.